You're listening to Reawaken, a podcast by the Humane Clinic. Our hosts are Humane Clinic therapists Matt Ball, Rory Ritchie and Bernie Mayweld. Our theme music is Hope by the talented Addo Mull. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race need your hope. That's what this world is in need. Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed. Hope is the thing that stops you bleed. Hi Rory, we're back for another podcast. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. Good, good. We're going to do our check-in, I think, and then we'll get on with today. I think we're going to talk a little bit about psychiatric medication or drugs, drugs. Uh, ECT, the sort of treatments that are pretty standard. Mm. And I say treatments in the broadest sense of the word mm. treatment. And often delivered or offered in absence of any other treatment as well. Yes. I might want to talk about. Yeah. Great. So we'll just do a check-in, shall we? Yeah, and, let's uh, just some water. Yeah, of course. Um, did you want to check in first? Yeah, I can go first. Yep. Thanks, mate. Um, how am I? <sighs> I? I feel like it's Monday. I've come back and we can kind of say lots of superlatives and positives about a new week. But in, in truth, today, it feels like the continuation of about 80 years of psychiatry's rule in Western mental health services. Um, because things look very similar today in people's lives as they did on Friday. So I don't want to have some sort of toxic positivity about, yep, we're back, it's Monday, I've got goals, dreams, hopes. I don't, like, I, I do have all those things, but they're kind of ongoing as well. So, yeah, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling, uh, yeah. Hearing that out loud, actually, I'm glad to check in. I'm feeling quite agitated. So I kind of want to remember that I want to deliver what I say today in compassion as well as power, you know, but uh, not, not, not some rant against people because that's not where I want to be. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to that. Cool. How are you? Um, I'm good. I've got a few slight niggly things on my mind like... I've decided to go without headphones today and trust that the podcast is recording okay because it seems to have recorded okay the last couple of times. Right. Yeah. Um, how else am I? I've had a really good day. I've done some work that felt worthwhile, meaning, meaningful. Yep. Um, spending time with someone. Um... And then conscious, we're about to start talking about um, drugs, prescribed drugs, antipsychotics, and conscious that I know quite a lot through my work of people's experience of having these drugs in their system or experience of being forced to take such drugs or taking them for lack of any other options or mm. information or knowledge or informed consent. And then also knowing that my, I guess, professional background is social work, so I don't have the kind of medical knowledge um, that goes along mm. with the drugs perhaps. Um, so maybe I'll be asking you a few more questions as well, knowing you're background as a nurse practitioner as well and that you might have some more informed um, opinions on that. Mm. Mm. 
but looking forward to it. I'm glad for the topic, something that we see a lot of around the clinic. So. That's me. Good. Good, thanks. Let's jump into it, shall we? Yeah. Where did you want to start? Where did you have uh, I want to start with you being a social worker and having different information to yeah, me I saw as a that glint, I saw that glint in your eyes. I said that. Yeah, I was trying to, trying to listen and hold on to my own story and then we yeah. finished listening. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't have to listen anymore. I can tell you. No, but, you know, it really struck me. I remember working in the health service, mental health service, and there was an edict put out that social workers shouldn't deal with people's medicine. And then it got taken on that, right, you can't even talk to the person about their medication. Um, and I was thinking, oh, maybe it's really cool to have people that don't know anything about the apparent science, the, the pharmacology of the drugs, talking about the drugs, because maybe that provides some sort of balance. You know, if social work's coming with a kind of social justice power lens, then that's probably quite useful for you not to get caught up with the apparent science yeah that's where i want to start yeah and i also see you know someone in a social work or other non-medical role being shuffled down to the lowest rung of expertise when talking about medication but also then also not acknowledging the social and the community and the relational aspects of treatment for people. Yep. So somebody goes to hospital, we're only looking at a pharmacological treatment of what's largely an issue of how somebody experiences the world and the community yep. and the home that they live in. Yep. Um, so I'd be quite happy to cede my role in a conversation around medication if there was equal weight given to other treatment such as psychotherapy or <coughs> even, you know, community involvement or looking at the family or broader network that the person exists in, things like all, all these things are also treatments. Yeah, I love that actually because I think that takes us to a much more sort of um, a mutual place with everyone involved rather than saying drugs are bad. I don't want to pill shame anyone. I don't want to get into <coughs> that, you know. People take medicine for all sorts of mm. things and that's none of my business, mm -hmm. right? But when people come to us and they've got dilemmas around the journey of medicine, medication, then they're asking us to be involved. Mm. And I love the idea that, that what else is going on in your life? What else has gone on? One of the things that's been on my mind recently is when you started being prescribed drugs, for example, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. what was happening in your mm -hmm. life then? What's happening in your life now so the narrative that if you come off your meds, you might relapse, as people like to call it. There's a whole range of other things going on in your life now. So the story that was happening 10 years ago is no longer the story that's happening now. But the drug that you were given 10 years ago has to be the same as the drug you're given now. And that's a really common story we hear. People just left on drugs. And we don't look at the broader social options that they've had or psychosocial as is the buzz language at the moment mm -hmm. we certainly don't often look at justice and power in their lives around prescribing and i think you, you as a social can bring there what about the voice of the person that's taking them you know with the with the limited science of what we're doing perhaps each individual's voice is well you, you surely you can't prescribe without taking into account what's it like to put that chemical in your body every day Regardless of any other experiences, what's it like doing that every day? 
because I imagine everyone's got their own unique experience of that. What side effects do you experience as part of taking that drug and what effect do they have on the way you feel about life and living? Yeah, yeah and when we think about the NDIS and people having, you know, the language of disability being around, what disabilities, what, what difficulties do you face in your life as a result of the side effect of that drug? You know, does it make it harder to read information and read a book? Because the, the language that I see so often still in 2023 is, oh, that's your schizophrenia, that's your bipolar, that's your mental disorder stuff. Well, what if any of us had a drug that reduced our cognitive function? Would any of us find the tasks of reading, writing, communicating more difficult? I would say yes. So that's it's kind of like a, a difficulty, but directly introduced by the apparent treatment. And then, so how might we also plan to acknowledge that if somebody is reducing these drugs that cognitive function may change or that this sedation that they've been under may lift and what might be there is some pretty heavy hurt or agitation Mm. or fear or distress around being on the drug in the first place, around the treatments they have or haven't gotten in that time, Mm. around the original experience or what we might call trauma that led to the person reaching out for help in the first place that hasn't been offered any real therapeutic treatment. It's just been quietened by an antipsychotic. Yeah, and there's multiple layers then of language, isn't there? So you were ill, so you needed a drug, not what's the distress in your life about? And then you have the drug and you're distressed by that as well. And then lots of people we see enough people that it's unbearable for me that they get given ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, when they're on a sedating drug so that it's hard for them, and they're often in hospital, it's hard for them to have any sense of voice or power. So what about when you come off the drug and you realise someone stuck electrodes to your brain while you're in hospital? And yeah, the form shows that you signed the form, but you signed it under limited consent, if any, because if you didn't sign it, then other things would kick into play. So that's not really an informed and, and free choice. And so medication plays such a role. Then, then of course, we see it in the therapy room. You know, um, could we ever try therapy, whatever therapy is, without the drugs? Because I would advocate if you're going to come off drugs, think about what else might be useful in your life. Not just come off drugs. Because if you've had them in your system for three, four, five, ten years, it's going to be different than it was 10 years ago and you've had something shushing your brain down a bit sedatives tranquilizers whatever i wonder what you might fancy exploring when you no longer have that sedative mm. sitting mm. on top of your brain mm. Mm. and what might look like support if and when that experience of reducing the drugs becomes a bit messy as it yeah. may do and if the prescriber was the expert and you no longer want that drug who do you think might be the expert? It doesn't have to be someone in the mental health system. You know, it, it, it could be anyone anywhere. We don't have to limit ourselves to what are the professions, doctors, nurses, social workers, OTs, psychologists, peer workers, support workers. Maybe none of those would be not your first choice. So how, how do we move much more towards choice? Uh, and And then we might be able to evaluate more honestly what the impacts of these drugs are in people's lives. Good or bad. Yeah. I have 
on my mind to talk to you about increases in drugs or adding more drugs as a solution to somebody's problem or just if somebody mentions that they may be having a harder time of things or hearing more voices that often the approach that we see happening is an increase in the drug that's being prescribed or new drugs being prescribed on top of the drugs already being prescribed as kind of the only solution to that issue. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if you have thoughts on that. I'm happy to go, but I feel quite emotional is why I'm (laughs) stalling a bit. So I wonder wonder if you have thoughts on that. I'm happy to speak either. Um, I could go down the path of knowing that people often express they learn quite quickly to not be honest with their doctors or psychiatrists for fear of the only response being an increase in medication that further disables them in life. So I guess that was part of the loading of the question I was... Yeah. I was offering to you. Which is quite insightful of the individual, right? Right. Because that is what happens. You know, we talk about rationalising drugs. We talk about lowest doses first. That's not what happens. I mean, you might start on a low dose, but what you're talking about is the loading up of doses and types of drugs mm. and number of drugs. Mm. And that is alive and well in 2023. That When I started doing it, my first prescribing course was in 2008, I think, or 2009, very, very clear. Start low, go slow. One drug. And I naively thought, oh, that's where we're heading. You know, having myself been on four drugs, right. I thought, oh, that's where we're heading. We're heading to a better place. Unfortunately, that's not what we see. And it becomes controversial if you want to address that. Why is it controversial for anyone? The individual, social worker, family member, support, a nurse, anyone to raise the question, why is this person on three drugs? Because there's no evidence to support that, ever, ever, ever. There might be what we call evidence to support one drug and perhaps the augmentation with the second drug. I mean, that's erroneous in my mind. But never this polypharmacy and high doses that we see. And what we see, of course, is people, as you started off with, talking about the very real harms and impacts in their everyday life of having all these cognitive deficit drugs in their system. And then people may get into a situation where, you know, we're told the <clears throat> breaking the taboo message of mental health, you know, we're told to reach out, reach out for help. And people often can quite quickly find that that's actually not a safe thing to do, to reach yeah. out. So if we can't go to the people we're meant to go to and say, things have changed, things are different. Yeah. It's been a tough week, month. Yeah. Then where do we turn? Who is it okay to say that to? And, and also, I, I want to sort of offer freedom to the people who, who prescribe and support the prescribing, particularly professionals in the system. Maybe, like I'll stand with you if you listen to the person and try new things. So where is this threat coming from that, that we need to kind of assume this incredible knowledge and responsibility when people are living in the community on their own and then they come in and they start talking about the difficulties with the drugs. And it's often met with a, a, either a subtle or an overt, oh, we know best, um, you know, we're here again, okay. You don't need to take that position. You, you could just sit down and listen. And, that would, and I, I offer you that in, 
if you're listening to this and you're a professional around prescribing or any professional supporting prescribing, I mean anyone working in a system, maybe the invitation's there to sit yourself in the space with the person. And I'll stand aside you. I'm sure you'd stand aside them. You know, supporting mm. people to listen to people and make really conscious, intentional decisions. Rather than what happens is that kind of throwing back to the person having taken a big risk in speaking up and the risk gets borne out that mm. it was a silly thing to do. Mm. Mm. And I should add, not every time, not every time. Sometimes it doesn't no. happen like that. I don't want to be biased, but it's pretty common. That's right. And then also I do, I do want to invite us to how we might work with someone who's interested in exploring reducing their medications maybe in the second half of the podcast yeah. because I'm going to say something that might, is a bit of a critique yeah, go on, go <laughs> now, on. but something I'm quite passionate about as we were just talking about, then people can find themselves in the position where they're a voluntary patient of the mental health system. But if they attempt to start to have a conversation about changing their medication or reducing their medication, they're put in this position, which I've, I've kind of come to refer to as the pseudo treatment order, which yep. is you're a voluntary patient, but if you don't take your medication or if you don't rock up for your depot next week, then we'll put a treatment order on you, yep. which that threat inherently means that the person isn't a voluntary patient. They're living under the threat of a treatment order of having their freedoms taken away, but without even the meager yep. real protections that come from the mental health act so people are too scared to have this conversation for the threat of being put on a treatment order and then that's a 12-month legal order where they don't have any room to move whatsoever no and the burden of proof is on them to prove they shouldn't be on the order right. rather than anyone proving they should i'm really glad you brought it up and i think yeah let's look at it in the second half but i'm really glad you've known that because my first thought was yeah this isn't new rory and i was like oh yeah this isn't new Far out. Are we still there? Mm. That this is happening, you know, on a weekly basis. Mm. We're hearing this from mm. someone, and we're a small clinic. Mm. So if we're hearing it, oh, more than weekly, actually, mm -hmm. several mm -hmm. times a week. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've just had a conversation about it today, <laughs> <laughs> and I know last week we had a couple of conversations. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's let's mm. look at what it's like after the break, shall we? Cool. Great. Catch you in a minute. Cool. Welcome back. Part two of our discussion around medications, treatments, an alternative approach maybe. Mm. I was just saying to Matt in the break, I was interested in breaking down how we might work with someone who's interested in reviewing their medication, exploring what, reducing a medication that's no longer valuable to them or that they um, might experience worse side effects than the symptoms that were looking to be treated in the first mm. place. So that may, may make their life less livable than the, the original symptoms did. Even. Yeah. Um, so it's work that we do here at yeah. Humane Clinic, often supporting people or opening discussions with people, yeah. with their family members. Um, yeah. With, uh, with their prescribers, if we can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. I was just going to comment very quickly on... The common experience of families trusting in the prescribing doctor, maybe initially for quite a big period of time, and then sometimes 
mm. not listening to the patient about their real experience of the drugs until much later in the treatment process and then quite often we may have a conversation with somebody's family who's they've gone on this big journey of trusting the doctors and believing that they're doing what's best for their family member and then coming to the realisation that things aren't changing, things aren't getting any better. Yeah. There's not this medication cure ongoing treatment that they were kind of sold for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm really loving you speaking so I was quiet. In the break, I was thinking, as you were talking, we were just having a quick chat in the break, and I was thinking, this is what you were talking about. And then you carried it on as we came back. This is what you were talking about as a social worker and psychotherapist. You're, bringing, you're talking about really important right. parts of people's lives. So, so, so everybody does have a role mm-hmm. in prescribing. The role of the prescriber isn't only the person right. who writes a form and has some apparent scientific knowledge, be that a nurse practitioner or a doctor or whatever. And so I just love that you kind of demonstrate, oh, yeah, look, that, you're not being radical or rebellious or crazy or wild or lacking knowledge mm-hmm. there. You're talking about what you see in day-to-day practice as a therapist, mm-hmm. the things that are important to help people make choice and explore their experiences. Mm-hmm. And that feels important. Yeah, and I think it is also important to say we're talking about people who are expressing really clearly that the drugs don't work yeah. for them, that they're not having a good experience on these drugs and they don't feel like they're an adequate tr- treatment yep. for whatever it is that the drugs may be attempting to treat. Yeah. So, you know, as when we talk about mental health labels, we can acknowledge that some people find great value in their label yep. and that and that's fine much in the same way that we're talking about people who are expressing really clearly that they don't find value in the medication they're being prescribed. So that's not also to say that if you don't find some medication valuable or at certain points in your life, yep. then you can't do that. I just wanted to kind of make that distinction that what we're talking about is when people put their hand up and say, this isn't working for me, yeah. I'm having awful side effects, and then it doesn't feel like there's much support to look at a different way through. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And, and I would add to that, Another dilemma I hear is people want to continue to see the professional that they're working with, but when the prescribing goes out the window, it's a quick run to discharge or less action, less seeing people. You know, so so what would it be like to still be able to, if you want to see a psychiatrist, see a psychiatrist, but not be prescribed. Maybe you want to talk about having schizophrenia, for Mm -hmm. example, but you don't want medication and you do want a social worker and you do want a physiotherapist. You know, maybe that's your treatment team and you want a couple of friends involved in appointments. Or you want a peer worker and a social worker and a nurse practitioner. Or so, yeah, I really, really resonate with what you're you're bringing up here. Is is we're talking about people that are, for whatever reason, not wanting to continue the current regime they're on. Right. And that might be. I mean, take voice hearing. Voice hearing is a classic for me. It, antipsychotics do not get rid of voices. No. I mean, I'm sure occasionally it happens. But it's not what we see ever here, really. I'd say probably one in 50. Mm. But I think other things are happening in their life as well. Mm-hmm. So is it the antipsychotic? Whereas, and this is controversial to say, lorazepam seems to be the drug of choice for voice hearers in terms of taking the edge off for some voice hearers. But, you, you know, that's controversial because we, we don't mind handing out Valium to people that go to their doctors. But, oh, lorazepam, ooh, that's the domain of a hospital to get people to sleep and then take it away from them when they're discharged. But maybe people have realised that was quite helpful. 
So why do we not listen to that story in the community? And there's whole reasons around prescribing and licensing and PBS and all that things. This is such a vast subject, isn't it? And so we're not saying everyone should come off all their drugs. They're all bad. We're saying people tell us over and over again the dilemmas. And some of the things we've noticed that are really beautiful, open dialogue meetings, mm. whether focused on the meds or not, what it seems to do is it seems to bring every voice into the room and inevitably they haven't heard one another about what they think about the drugs. So we hear a lot of families talking about how they really dislike the drugs and the person was saying oh my family tell me i've got to take the drugs like the doctor said and when you hear open dialogue spaces you realize ah yeah the family are frightened maybe and want the person to have a better life but they don't like the drugs either and they haven't for the last 10 years so open dialogue is one such thing which is really beautiful Mm. in creating space for people to talk about medicine safely also if we get a network together and do some open dialogue. We also start to hear other stories that look a lot less like there's a mental person person who's a mental patient who has psychosis inside of themselves, which mm. requires a medication to treat. We start to hear other stories in yeah. the network that everyone's coming with their own problem, their own struggles, difficulties, the secrets of the network. Yes. We start to hear some of these and then all of a sudden it looks like well there's other things to work with in this network than just this one person who's kind of bringing the message of the network that something isn't going right yeah and sometimes we even hear in those environments and in our work people want to stay on their medication yeah but the medication is such a big issue we can't talk about the other things and so when we can start to talk about the other things people might decide to stay on one or more of the drugs that they're on but all of a sudden, there's a there's a kind of mutuality and a kind of there's less less power being used, I suppose, even if it's implicit, that allows people to kind of be freer to think. Even I mean, that's what we're going with this, right? Is that people aren't even really free to think because if they express their thoughts, it can often come with repercussions. Mm, so right. we're trying to create environments where people are free to to play and speak and have ideas. I mean, some of the some of the things for me. People, young people particularly are put on antidepressants for suicide it doesn't matter how many social action documentaries it doesn't matter how many Facebook posts there are on the coalition against forced treatment or mad in America or any of these things it's still happening people that young people are being put on antidepressants at an alarming rate to stop suicide when the, one of the first side effects suicide so let's talk about it it's okay we don't want to burden one person or another with the responsibility how do we create environments to connect? And I think psychotherapy can be part of that without us having to be all knowledgeable about prescribing because we're interested in the story of someone's life. And so we're not getting into the prescribing information. Another one I just want to, before I forget, one of the conundrums I see is taken off an antipsychotic and put onto dexamphetamine. So right. schizophrenia, psychosis, label antipsychotics doesn't help put on to dexamphetamine for ADHD. So just on very basics, one of them regulates and mops up dopamine, the other one increases dopamine in the brain. So how does the person experience the utter confusion of the wise mental health services saying, oh, you did have schizophrenia, but maybe you got ADHD as well, so we'll take you off the drug that was reducing dopamine that's made you psychotic and we'll put you on a drug that increases dopamine that'll actually make you more peaceful and calm and more attentive and focused? 
It's, it's gumph. My favourite word at the moment, gumph. <laughs> Which then gets us to the point that there's no testing for the level of somebody's mental health condition. There's no, no. biological test, right? So we might test the function of somebody's heart and thus pre- prescribe appropriate medication according to where yeah. that's at and lower or increase dosages according to that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Whereas it being that schizophrenia isn't a biological condition that can be tested with a blood test, Yes. then on what information are we basing increases and decreases of medication or the medication that's offered in the first place? If we decide that somebody's psychotic, then they're given an antipsychotic. If we then decide that somebody's got ADHD instead, then they're, provi- they're prescribed amphetamines. Yeah, without, which is weird. Yeah, without any real justification evidence. Yeah, some of it looks like a social fad, which I know some people will find really difficult. And I'm not saying the distress, the experiences of living aren't real, but there is definitely a populist fad of ADHD diagnosis at the moment and prescribing for it. And if you look at the latest guidelines on ADHD diagnosis, none of it is evidence-based. It says on there, the actual assessment part, all of it's just opinion. So you're absolutely right. It's weird we're doing this kind of thing. And what I want to return to is how do we find out what's happening by listening to the person and finding out what mechanisms we need. need. Do you need art therapy? Do you need equine therapy? Do you need open dialogue? Do you need to go to the pub with your mate? You know, we've had the experiences around suicide in rural areas where we've sat with people in the pub, in different pubs in different country towns, and they've told us how useful it was for the first time to be able to talk. So what is it? How, how do we create environments and spaces where people can tell us what it's like to be prescribed and what they want from that journey? Right, and so that can also start, if we bring it back to some of the psychotherapy work that we do, that can also look like a conversation about what side effects... Yeah, are people experiencing asking difficult questions like, yeah. "Do you notice the the medications affected your sexual functioning yeah. at all?" Which is a conversation that people don't want to have, or questions people yeah. don't want to ask, yeah. or where is it okay for somebody to speak up and talk about that and how that affects yeah. their lives? So we might look at doing some kind of measure or record of the side effects yeah. that somebody experiences in order to keep an eye on them, especially in relation to reducing or coming off meds to notice, yeah. well, are those side effects rolling back and which ones yep. are dropping off pretty quickly straight away and which ones stay with a person and continue to <clears throat> affect their health and their experience. Absolutely. On. And uh, absolutely. So for me, I'm sort of thinking about, is it possible to understand why people become isolated, socially isolated um, in the context of, prescribing decisions so if you're thinking about having sexual intimacy and sexual relationships and the drugs are causing problems around that perhaps you avoid social relationships so if you think about sexual relationships and and isolation not not just sexual any relationship but in a world where sex is very classically played out in almost Mm. every dynamic of the world we Mm. exist in and selling and part of and all this so what, what's, what's it like to go back into relationships when you've had erectile dysfunction, anorgasmia, um, vaginal dryness, um, lack of arousal, reduced libido, all the things that we don't want to name because yep. they're a little bit awkward. <clears throat> and those things often relate to people's experiences in either difficult relationships, sexual abuse, right. sexual violence, rape, all those things. 
Gosh, maybe maybe the person's really skillful in letting us know where we're at with that. Well, they will be. What's our job or the, the role of people around them is to create environments where people can explore that, explain that, express that, be with that. That'll really contribute to the wonderful decisions around what might be useful or not in their mm. life from all levels, but including medication. Mm. Mm. Um, so I'm also thinking other things we might think about looking at doing is mm. having a meeting of the network or a meeting of multiple professionals to discuss the medication and what a slow reduction of the yeah. medication safely might look like and what supports are around in place yeah. to allow a person to check in with how things are going, have regular support and treatment, yeah. regular therapy, regular medical catch-ups, regular social interactions with people who yeah. care about them and want to support them yeah. through something rather than a view of reducing or coming off medication that might be cold turkey or without supports yeah. or abandoning a person, stopping prescribing and then just leaving them. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that a few times, right? Mm. People who want to work with the Humane Clinic, uh, prescribers saying, well, I won't work with you if you're working with the Humane Clinic. Right. I mean, that's literally mm. said people mm. what are you what are you talking about like let's all come together let's mm. communicate let's let's spend time one of the most common things that i've heard in psychiatric drug withdrawal is don't forget if you're tapering or reducing a drug any one of your drugs and you're under a doctor like when i give people deprescribing or tapering plans to send to their doctor i say don't forget you can go up back up on the medication for a week or two like, like, so right. we're not going radical here and saying, get off your drugs, get off your drugs. We're saying, you know, if you've reduced from 10 to 5 to 4 to 3, you need to go back up to 4 or even 5 or 6. You can do that. No rush here. This is about a holistic journey of finding out what is a good life. But placing the person, and it sounds like we're just saying normal, put the person at the center. But I think we're saying that we can talk about it. It doesn't happen. Yeah. So let's be realistic and creative and as professionals all professionals it's a joy to have your anxieties and fears and vulnerabilities challenged mm. and and if we don't do that then we end up doing things to people not being with people and that's what i heard with your start about what can a social worker bring are you allowed to talk about yes you bloody are mm. because because the different voices are vital in this yeah. and I'm just thinking as we're sitting here talking something else that is also common is a person saying well I value this medication but not this one actually so I'd like to have a conversation about yeah. starting to reduce one medication it's not this kind of not always this radical approach of mm. I want to come off all my medication and I want it now people are quite skillful in saying well this one you know works for me or yeah. I'm not ready to come off of this one, but I'd really like to look at this one, which I'm not valuing yeah. at all. So here's a question that I would put to everyone who listens to this. If you're, if you're a worker in the system at any level, or perhaps you're taking one of the drugs, but particularly if you're supporting someone apparently, are you worried about your professional responsibilities, your code of conduct, your legal responsibilities, your peer group, your employer the government's code of conduct, the law, are those things dominating how you can be with the person? They're, they're legitimate because they're big stories in our lives. But if they are dominating it, 
I would say it's a really beautiful opportunity to think, oh, how can I manage the domination of those thoughts that are frightening me? Because if I could manage them differently, maybe I can listen better to the person who's being affected by these mm. drugs. Mm. And that's, that's, that, I think that's a real invitation to us all. Mm. Um, how can I manage those things inside of me because they're my challenges, my problems, and return to hearing and being yeah. with the person who I'm here to help? Yeah, they're my stories, aren't they? Yeah. My stories of living. Yeah. yeah. I have one more thing mm. I want to say, which is if we are to take a, what we might call a recovery approach to mm. mental health, that things change, right? <laughs> we go through <laughs> difficult times in our lives, psychotic times, depressive times, whatever language we want to use. If we're holding that our experience of life changes, our distress can change, our way of responding to threat, our way of coping changes, then we need to be open to helping people try to come off or reduce their medications. If we're going to hold that, things can change. And then there's the many paths to recovery that we talk about. If we're going to hold that concept of mental health, then we shouldn't be accepting that somebody needs to stay on a drug for their entire lives. They need to be given the opportunity, the support, the trust, the help, the love to move towards what looks like a better life for them, right? Oh, I love that. I love that. And I want to say, if you want to reduce stigma, if you want to have all this bullshit facade that we're making it all better, well, maybe we start with reducing the stigma because someone knows they're free to choose and be collaborated with. And, and, and that would be really beautiful. So I want to try and come off my meds now. And in three years, I might come back to you and say, oh, could I try that drug a yeah. bit? Because, you know, oh, now I want to come off them again. That'll reduce stigma and fear and threat and vulnerability and say, oh, yeah, just as you like camembert, at Christmas in 2019 doesn't mean you have to eat camembert every Christmas. You know, you could have some brie. <laughs> Might be equally nice yeah, yeah. or valuable or useful or yeah. palatable. Yeah. Just as lots of marijuana and psychedelics might have been quite helpful to get through life in the year 2009, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> yeah. in the year 2023... You might need to try something else, not do the same thing that's been done before, it, yeah. given that, as you brought up earlier, life changes, our environments change, what's happening changes. Yeah. So we need to adapt and be open to treatments changing, right? Absolutely. And if I give a quick example, I know we've got to finish, but I've got three kids. The idea of taking psychedelics at the moment is not very pleasant. <laughs> Even if I wanted to, the idea of doing that with three kids that I love and care about and want to be the best dad I can for doesn't feel like a good plan to me. Maybe when they're 25, I'll suddenly decide I want to do some psychedelics again because I don't have the same responsibilities, social network, the same bills, the same mortgages, the same rent, whatever. So yeah, as life changes, then our our choices will change. Yeah, you'll be at a different part of the journey. It might be time to try something different. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'm going to start drinking fizzy water. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we better wrap it up. And yeah, we... thank you very much. I feel like we could go on and on in yeah, that. Yeah. So if Absolutely. we return to this topic at some stage, we may. Yeah, so as, as always, you. if you've got questions for us, you've got topics you want us to bring up, think about, have a yarn about, um, please drop us a line at info at humaneclinic.com.au.
And I know we'll be dropping little bits and pieces into the podcast, but also humaneclinic.com.au. There's resources, a bit of information about the way we work and our approaches, like dissociocotic suicide narratives. Um, We're in the middle of getting our trainings up for the year. So get on the training page there, have a look at that. There's stuff in person, online. Great. All right, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, some of the upcoming workshops and training at Humane Clinic in the first half of 2023 include Accepting and Working with Voices, Working with Psychosis and Trauma, The Power Threat Meaning Framework, Mental Health Treatment Order Advocacy, Suicide Narratives and our six-week Just Listening training. To learn more about our workshops, visit humaneclinic.com.au or email us at info at humaneclinic.com.au. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race, need your hope, that's what this world is in need. Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed, hope is the thing that stops you bleed, hope is the ivory in the weed, so give hope, and live hope, and when your kids are hungry, feed them hope, if the system bleeds you dry, have hope, if the situation makes you cry, have hope, cause now it's time to dry your eyes and hope, that that'll keep your dreams alive, I hope, that you hope. Cause everyone's future is resting on your hope Can take the worst thing and turn it around Hope can find the lost that was not to be found Hope can make the loser them stuck in ground and Hope can turn your pennies right back into pounds Cause hope can be rebuilt even when it's been killed And if you believe, your hope will be fulfilled But people lie, just to raise your hope Just to make you think that they're helping you cope They're selling you eggs without no yolk they're wearing you down until your will is broke This ain't real hope, they don't feel hope They real hope and deal hope and turn it into false hope Then we give up on this world like it's a sinking boat We let each other drown instead of flinging the rope We're turning the place into some kind of joke But we can't laugh, we can't lose hope In these times while they commit these crimes Because there's nothing else out here keeping us afloat Hope is elusive, a glint in the eye That something is exclusive, a thing they can buy or make excuses, they just sit and ask why Our mistakes are conclusive, hope will just die But I wouldn't lie, singing all lullaby Give hope a try, and hope gets high You'll be bereaved, but you'll also receive Have hope, can't be deceived, you've just got to believe And hope, don't let it leave, forever receive Just hope, and then one day, you're going to succeed You can't live without hope, don't go without hope Don't doubt hope, will keep you warm when you're shivering with cold never been told because some people take hope but some people make hope but you are the people you people here you're the ones that i feel are sincere you're raising my hope will hold your hand when you feel insecure hope will find a way through any locked door hope will give you guidance when you're feeling unsure make a point to the wise even when there's a floor
and so much more.